Great to have you in the house today and also online if you're joining us today online. Hey, it's a big day today, uh, a great day of celebration for all of our graduates where we're celebrating those graduating from high school. Also, those that are graduating from college and maybe even graduate school. So can we give it up one more time for our graduates that are here in the house? Absolutely. It's a, it's a real important time. It's a milestone in every student's life. And it's also a big deal for parents too. And students, I just want you to know, I'm going to be pivoting over here talking to you guys a lot of the time. Uh, man, your parents have been praying for you. We've been praying for you that uh, God would uh, continue to work in your life and continue to grow you and draw you and keep you close to him. And that's something that all of us want, right? All of us want our children, our grandchildren, uh, our family to walk with God. But here's a question. What is, what is going to guarantee us that these graduates that are graduating are going to be walking with God five years from now? How, how do we know, what kind of assurance do we have that when they leave your house, that they're going to be walking with God when they launch into the university or when they launch into their career, how do we know? The truth of the matter is there are a lot of spiritual um, dangers that are out in the world. And just in case you think Craig's just kind of making this up, uh, actually, the Bible talks about this. The Apostle Paul warning us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. In other words, he said there's going to come a time, and I believe we're in that time, when people are going to gravitate to messages they want to hear and do. And this is before, this was written before TikTok and social media when we could just get in our own silo chamber and only hear the things that we want to hear. And, and it's, there's going to come a time when, when they're not going to want to hear truth. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear truth. They want to hear myths, their own perspective, their own thoughts. So how do, how do you help? A student that's going off to university or, or going off to uh, their career or how do you ensure that your kids are going to stay faithful to the truth and not be lured away by these other voices, these other influences that are around them? That's what we're talking about today. So get your Bible out and open up to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. In fact, I have to be honest, Colossians 2, this passage is actually why I wanted to teach on Colossians in the first place because it's so current, it's so relevant, and it's so important. Colossians chapter 2. Remember, Colossae was a, a city in Asia Minor this church plant was, was started there. They're new Christians. They're probably only about six years old. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this church to help them stand firm. Because they were located on those east, that east-west trade route, there were lots of thoughts and ideas that came flowing into this little church. There were some that advocated Greek philosophy. There were some that advocated Jewish mythology. There were some that advocated Eastern mysticism. All this was swirling around in the church and there were lots of people coming in, 
teaching things that did not seem right. And so Paul is trying to write to them to address some of these issues. And so he's going to speak uh, directly to them. In fact, uh, we're living in a day much like that. Now that we, uh, you can log on at just about any time, the access to all kinds of philosophies and thoughts and, and religious concepts and ideas are a, a click away. They're just a click away. And you have uh, that glowing rectangle in your pocket the minute your kids get that. They have access, or maybe the other way to say is those ideas have access to them. So how, how do you navigate through that? How do you know what voices to listen to? And so Paul really starts off in verse 6 just articulating what he wants for them, what he wants for this church, what he wants for these new believers. Look at verse 6. This is the word of God. He said, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. He said, listen, what I really want for you is I want you to just be established. He said, just as you came to Christ, I want you to live that way. Well, how did you come to Christ? Well, you came to Christ by faith. You came trusting in the gospel and putting your hope in him. So the way you live the Christian life is every day trusting in the gospel, putting your hope and faith in Jesus and following him. That's how you live. Just like you came to Christ, that's how you live in Christ. And then he says, I want you to be rooted and established. In fact, you might circle the word rooted there. It's this idea, this image of a tree. He said, I want you to be like this tree that's solid and steady and immovable with its roots anchored down deep in the earth so that no one can pull it up. And that's really what we want for these graduates, right? We want you to be rooted and established in truth. We want you to be solid and built up because Paul knows that just like the winds blew through here this last week and overturned trees, that the winds of our culture will try to uproot your faith in Jesus. He knows that. In fact, look at this picture. That's what he's warning them against. He said, don't be like that. There are people that want to uproot your confidence in Jesus and lure you away to other thoughts and to other gospels that are not the gospel you were told. In fact, Paul is going to systematically go through three key false teachings that these Colossian Christians were dealing with. And let me just say this, the reason why we need to teach this is because these same three are very active today and are uprooting the faith of many people, especially young adults, that they can access you know, TikTok videos and they can access podcasts and are easily led astray. And so we, we need to be on it here. And uh, so he basically, every one of these three false teachings are going to have something in common. They're all going to say Jesus on the out front, on the front of it. They're going to say Jesus. Hey, we believe in Jesus. We're all for Jesus. So anytime somebody goes, well, I'm going to XYZ church, but they, they talk about Jesus. Okay, well, that's good, but that doesn't mean they're all good, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that says Jesus on the label, but when you dig down deeper, 
It is a Jesus plus message. And every one of these have a Jesus plus message. So here's what you need to understand. Jesus plus anything equals a false gospel. Jesus plus anything, anything that chips away at the sufficiency of Christ is a false gospel. And so Paul is going to pound and pound and pound away in this chapter. And he's going to keep making this statement. He's going to say it in different ways, but this is the point that he's making. Jesus is all you need. You don't need a Jesus plus gospel. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is all you need. All right. So with that, let's just go ahead and dive on into it. If you're taking notes, uh, jot this first one down. Jesus plus human wisdom. This is the first fallacy, the first false teaching that he's going to address. Jesus plus human wisdom. Now look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. He said, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than on Christ. Now stop right there for just a minute. When he talks about philosophy here, he's talking about any human reasoning, any explanation of the world, of spiritual realities, any discussion about the meaning and purpose of life apart from the gospel. That's what he's talking about. And he said that these philosophies are, quote, empty deceptions. That is that they sound good, they sound reasonable, they may even sound intellectual, they sound very sophisticated, they sound like smart people have been thinking about this a long time, and yet they are empty in themselves, they are producing another gospel. They say Jesus, they use churchy words, they use biblical words, they even quote Bible verses, but they're preaching a different gospel. In fact, he said this teaching that they give you is based on, quote, the elements of the world, end quote. That's a hard phrase to translate. The basic elements of the world can mean things that are simple, things that are low-minded, things that are uh, regressive. It's like naturalistic. It is like um, humanistic. I think about Isaiah 55 verse 9 where he says, my ways are higher than your ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So here's God's wisdom and then here's our little wisdom, right? What they're teaching was based on their little mind wisdom. So that could mean what he's saying here with these elementary principles of the world. But there's another way to translate that that has a darker meaning and that is the elementary spirits of the world which means that there is something dark and sinister behind this teaching that you're hearing, and that is demonic. In fact, Paul says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he talks about doctrines of demons, that there is actually a satanic attack. There is a demonic influence with this philosophy that's seeking to lure you away from the gospel. So Paul is warning them. He's warning. He's saying, listen, there's some people who are going to come to you and they're going to talk about Jesus. But what they're really doing is they're infiltrating another gospel. They're, they're using their own wisdom and their own knowledge in order to, to chip away at the veracity of the gospel in order to uproot you. That's what they want to do. You need to be warned. Now, this is happening today through a term called deconstruction. 
I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but most young adults are very familiar with the term. Deconstruction is the process of questioning, criticizing, and with a view to ultimately abandoning the beliefs of historic Christianity. Now, deconstruction is promoted by what we would call progressive Christians or progressive Christianity. You say, well, what is that? Well, progressive Christianity basically is the notion that we have kind of progressed beyond the biblical gospel. We progress beyond the historical gospel. And now our minds need to be open to new truths and new understandings and not to be tethered anymore to these, these things that are, you were taught in the Bible. We progress beyond that. And really what they're doing is progressing on to a whole new gospel altogether. They see the the biblical gospel, the historical gospel as dated, antiquated, unsophisticated, even wrong, even bad. Something to be jettisoned. So most progressives even, it wouldn't surprise you, oppose the basic tenets of the faith. For example, progressives would oppose the authority of Scripture. They don't believe the Scripture is infallible. They don't believe it's authoritative in any, in any way. You can pick and choose what you want of the Bible. A lot of it they're quick to get rid of because it doesn't fit their, fit their social agenda. They, they do not hold to the atonement. That is a substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross for our sin, which is at the core of the gospel. They don't they don't believe or hold to the sinfulness of man. They don't believe or hold to the exclusivity of Christ, that Christ is the only means by which a person may be saved. They don't have a biblical view of sexuality. They don't have a biblical view of the family. They don't have a biblical view of the church. All these things are deconstructed with a view that hopefully if they said like, like pulling strings on a sweater, if they can keep pulling them till the sweater unravels, then they can reconstruct something that's a whole different kind of gospel altogether. Many denominations are being gutted. Denominations that once held to the historical gospel are now being gutted and left like a shell because of this insidious teaching. I was talking with a pastor uh, from New York not too long ago, and he, he was uh, saying that, Craig, I went to Bible college, and I got, finally got an opportunity to be a pastor of a church. And he said, I was very excited. It was a very, uh, very prominent church. It was a very wealthy church. That man, the campus looked like a country club. It had manicured lawns and pristine facilities. And he said, I was quite excited to be the pastor there. And he said, I got up, and I started preaching the Bible, just like I always do. And he said, about eight weeks into it, I got a visit from one of my elders and he said, uh, hey, I've noticed that every Sunday you've been preaching from the Bible. He said, yeah. He said, well, isn't there anything else you can preach from? He said, I mean, there are a lot of other religious writings and there are lots of other philosophers and other thinkers, deep thinkers, and, and surely there's something else that you can preach from but the Bible. And he's like, no. No, just the Bible. And he said that started a war within that church of people working hard to get rid of him because he dared to just preach the Bible and the gospel. 
And where do they get to that? It is because of this progressive thinking that deconstructs the very faith that we hold on to, that uproots the very faith that we hold dear, the very faith that we were told to guard and to protect and to proclaim. Now, are you saying, Craig, that we can't ask questions? No, I'm not saying that. There, this is a place to ask those questions. Yeah, I don't know if I understand, the, you know, where the Bible comes from, or I got questions about how could this be right, and how could that be right? Great, bring them in here. Let's think about them together, but let's always drive us back to the truth of the gospel in Christ. Let's get to answers, not just question after question after question after question that never leads anywhere, except to agnosticism. So this is what Paul is dealing with here. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Bring them out, he's saying. Hasn't God made the world, the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Listen, the gospel has always been seen as unsophisticated. Always. The gospel has always been seen as foolish. Because we have to acknowledge our sinfulness. We have to put our hope and faith in Jesus. But it is true. And it is historical, and it is reliable, and it is only the gospel that has the power to save. Only the gospel. And so look at what he says in verse 9. He said, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is ahead over every ruler and authority. You get his argument here? What he's saying is this. Listen, Listen, guys, he's saying, if Christ is the fullness of God in bodily form, then when you come to Christ, you have fullness. He's not lacking anything. So when you're in Christ, you're not lacking anything. So you don't need to go, well, I need Christ, but I also need some of this other stuff here. No, 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 no. You don't need that. All you need is Jesus. He is sufficient. He is the, in fact, earlier in this chapter, he says he is the, the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. He is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. You can't even plumb the depths of the knowledge and wisdom of God. He is all you need. You certainly don't need human wisdom. You don't need a more palatable message to the culture. You don't need a more sophisticated view. You just need Jesus. You need the gospel. So, Jesus plus human wisdom. The second one is Jesus plus religious tradition. Religious tradition. Look at verse 11. He says, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands 
by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now stop right there. There are some people that came into this church and they say, you know what, we, yeah, Jesus is great, but you also need to add some of the religious traditions of Judaism. Particularly, he's talking here about circumcision, which was a sign that God gave Abraham of their covenant with God and Israel. And they said, you know, we need to hold on to some of these traditions. There were Judaizers that Paul dealt with all the time. They would work their way to churches and say, Jesus is fine, but you got to hold on to these rituals, got to hold on to these traditions. See? And so that's what they're saying here. Yeah, Jesus is good, but we need to hold on to our traditions. Now listen to me. There are people today who hold on to religious traditions, religious rituals, religious practice, because they believe that in doing so, that they find acceptance before God. And, and what Paul is saying here is that, listen, God's not concerned with the exterior religious rituals that you do. He's concerned with your heart. He's like, remember when you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ, God was doing this work in you. It wasn't the baptism that was any meaning. It was the fact that God was doing something in you. Did you, most of you know this. I, I hope that you know this. If you don't know this, welcome to First Colleyville. When we baptize a person, we're, that water isn't mystical. There's nothing magical about it. This is simply an external picture of what has already happened internally. That when you came to faith in Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Christ died for your sin. He rose again from the grave. And now you're a new person in Christ. And so your old life is gone. Your new life has come. That's what baptism symbolizes. But it's not a ritual that's required for salvation. And so look at verse 13. Look at what he says. I love this. Oh, this is so good. He says, and when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Do you get that? It's what he has done. He has done. Here, here's what he's saying. I get a little fired up. Whole, you know, forgive me. I get a little fired up about this. But all of your sin... All your wickedness, all your waywardness, all your junk, all your past, all the stuff you're ashamed of that you did. All that stuff, that long list. He said that God took that list that's against you, that's opposed to you, that stands between you and God. And he nailed it to the cross when they nailed Jesus to the cross. Do you understand that? That 2 Corinthians 4 says, he became sin for us. He absorbed all of our waywardness and he was nailed to the cross to pay in full for the sins that you and I have committed. He did all of that. And when he said it is finished, that means it really was finished. It really was done. And then when he put, they put his body in the grave and then three days later he comes out of the grave alive. He was demolishing the power of sin, the power of the grave, and he was breaking the hold that Satan had had on your life. He triumphed over even the powers of hell for you. See? Now, 
if you understand what he just said, he's saying if Jesus did all that, then why do you think you've got to do a ritual to be saved? Are you saying that what Jesus did wasn't enough? Are you saying Jesus got me up to here, but it's up to me to do these couple of rituals in order to push the ball across the goal line? Is that what you're saying? God forbid that we trust in some ritual we do and not in the finished work of Jesus and what he has accomplished for us. You understand that? It's really important that you get this. But there are those that go, no, 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 you gotta have all, you gotta have all these traditions. So here's what Paul says to that group of people. Look at verse 16. He said, let no one condemn you by delighting, oh, back up. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or matters of festival or new moon or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. In other words, all these traditions, they were all pointing to Jesus. But now Jesus has come. They were all shadows. But the substance has come in Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? He said, so don't fall into this need for human tradition. Jesus has done it all. Don't fall into the trap of these people who want you to deconstruct and, and inject all kinds of human philosophy. Jesus is all you need. And then he gives us one more he gives us one more, and that is Jesus plus mystical experiences. Look at verse 18. He said, let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head, which is from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. He said there, there are some people that were coming into this church and they were saying, you know what? Uh, yeah, Jesus is awesome, but man, you got, when you really get to our level, <laughs> there's a whole level of spiritual reality that we get into and, and uh, this, this higher level of consciousness I, I, the, the way people talk about it today is just so irritating to me uh, because they're like, well, when you finally get to our level, then you understand. You know, you're just, a, you're just in kindergarten. Man, when you get to graduate school of our spiritual school, then you really finally understand what we're dealing with. These are most likely people that were Gnostics. Gnostic comes from the word gnosis, Greek word gnosis, which means to know by experience. And they said that in order to reach this higher level of consciousness, in order to reach this higher level of enlightenment, that, that what you need to do to access that are certain experiences. So you need emotional experiences. You need ecstatic experiences. You need experience with, with uh, mysterious things and mystical things and visions and dreams and prophetic utterances and, and the worship of angels and spirit guides and all this kind of thing. That, that's all Gnosticism, 100%. Now we see this today. We see this today in some churches that fixate on these mystical 
experiences. They fixate on words of knowledge and prophecies and, and, and things that aren't tethered to scripture. They're not tethered to any, any truth. Well, they just had this vision, this dream. And so it's got to be true. And so they're passing it on. And it, it is just all very emotional, all very esoteric. It feels very spiritual, but is not tethered to any truth or any accountability. Probably one of the greatest purveyors of this just right now uh, is you know, Bethel Church in, in California. Many articles, in fact, I've included these articles in the sermon notes in the church app if you want to access those. There are many articles that talk about their affinity for these kind of mystical, almost occult-like practices, some of which are soul-soaking or soul-sucking where they're laying on the graves of dead saints in order to soak up the anointing of these uh, saints of the past. Uh, others are Christian tarot cards and, and prophetic card readings. Um, some, one of their pastors recently were promoting spirit guides and openness to these types of things. Uh, you have people from that particular church that talk a lot about uh, mystical things that happen in worship. Some have said they've seen angel dust falling on them in worship. Uh, some have seen uh, angel feathers falling down as they are raptured up in worship. One particular lady talked about how she was able to arouse a mighty sleeping uh, angel or spirit by saying, wakey, wakey. I'm not making this stuff up, people. It's ridiculous. It's not Bible. Now, are you saying, Craig, we can't ever have an emotional experience? No, I'm not saying that. I mean, when you're, when you're grieved over your sin, there's an emotion, right? When you're joyful because of what Christ has done, there's emotion in that. I'm not saying that there are no emotions, but when emotions are what driving you, when, it, when the drawing card is the experience, when the drawing card is what experience can I have and what can I get or what personal power may I gain from doing these sorts of things, my friend, then you are stealing the glory from Jesus. You're stealing his glory for your own gain. And it is a terrible thing. And Paul is warning us. He's warning us. In fact, I, I, I love what he calls these people. He said they're inflated by, their em by empty notions in their unspiritual mind. That is theological trash talk right there. All right? He's like, your head's just inflated like a balloon. And you think you're so spiritual, but you're not spiritual at all. And so he is, he is really telling. And, and then look at verse 20. He says, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish. By being used up, they are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom, get that, by promoting self-made religion, which is exactly what it is, self-made, I'm making my own religion, self-made religion, false humility, severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. In other words, he's like, man, you left all this paganism in the back. Why are you going back to that? You left all this Eastern mysticism to come to Christ. Why are you going back to that? You left all this, the, these rules and traditions. Why are you going back to that? 
You left all this human wisdom. Why are you going back to that? He said, listen, all these things are self-made religions. And that's exactly what they are today. These are things that look and claim to be Christian, but are not Christian in and of themselves. They're a false gospel. A Jesus plus gospel. And all their roads finally lead to myself being elevated instead of Jesus. And he said, by the way, just from a very pragmatic standpoint, they have no ability to curb your own indulgence. In other words, they can't change you on the inside. I mean, you can do all kinds of things. You get worked up, but it doesn't change you on the inside. You can have these deep thoughts to deconstruct all day, but you're still not changed on the inside. What your need, what your problem is, is sinful heart. And only Jesus can change a sinful heart. You understand? Church family, with me? This is real. This is, this is right now. This is your, I'm talking your kids, I'm talking your grandkids. I'm talking what's online right now. My mind has been exploding watching TikTok videos that I've been arguing with all week. All right? Because it's so insidious and it's so clever and it says Jesus and it sounds so good and, and, and there's emotion to it. But let me tell you what, it is, it is deadly. And the goal is to uproot your confidence in Jesus and the gospel. Jesus warned us about this. Jesus warned us. In Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said these words, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. My friends, the wolves are howling. Human wisdom, religious tradition, mystical experiences. The wolves are howling. So back to my question that I asked at the beginning. How do we ensure that these graduates are going to continue to walk with God in that kind of world when it's so accessible and it's so ubiquitous? When my oldest daughter went off to college for the first time. She was the first one to go off to the university. I sat down with her and I had to have a talk with her about what she was going to experience. And so I sat down and I started talking about what is uh, liberal theology and what are false teachings and I started going through a long list. And the more I talked I could see her eyes getting wider and wider and wider and the blood beginning to drain from her face and she was completely overwhelmed as you can imagine. Imagine me sitting across from you telling you all this stuff, right? And I could tell that she was just getting completely overwhelmed. I said, okay, stop, 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 stop. All right, just scratch everything that I just said. Let's start over. Let's start over. Okay, think about it this way. I said, honey, when you go off to the university, you have a filter and you don't even know it. You have a filter. You know the Bible. You've been taught the Bible since you were a little girl. So you know God's word and you know the Bible and you've read it and you love God's word. So that's a filter. You also have the Holy Spirit within you who his job is to lead you into all truth, John 16 says, and to always point you to Jesus, John 16. So you've got the word, you've got the spirit of God and then you have godly people in your life that you know walk with God and you trust them. Yeah, mom and dad, but there are others that you know and you trust them and you've seen them your whole life who taught you the word. 
And listen, these three things, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God create this filter inside of you. So when you're sitting in class and you hear a professor say something, you go, I never heard that before. It's getting stuck in your filter. When somebody says, hey, come over to this church, man. It's crazy over there. We get it all kind of, well, you're like, well, I don't know, it seems a little strange. It's getting stuck in your filter. When you watch somebody on, on a TikTok video or, or you listen to a podcast or something like that, and you're like, man, this just sounds wrong. I don't know why, but it just doesn't sound right. It's getting stuck in your filter. And so when those things get stuck, then you come to one of us that can help you get that out and help you understand what it is against the truth so you can move past, all right? So what will ensure that these graduates continue to walk with God five years from now? They got to engage the filter. You got to love God's word. You've got to ask Jesus through his spirit to give you wisdom and protection. And then you've got to stay in contact with these people who you've known your whole life, who have taught you the truth because they love you and they know you and they want God's best for you. And then once you've engaged the filter, you set your eyes on Jesus. You love Jesus. You elevate Jesus. You pursue Jesus. You walk with Jesus. You emulate Jesus. You do the work of Jesus. You hold on to him because Jesus is all you need. Would you bow your heads with me? You may be here and maybe you've grown up in some of these false teachings. I mean, even, even just going through this, just verse by verse through this chapter, you go, man, I see that or I see this and I don't know if I even know Jesus, the biblical historical gospel of Jesus. Here's the gospel. Here it is. God created you to know him and love him and walk with him in a deep and personal way, but our sin has separated us from God. And you are separated from God because of your sin, your own waywardness, your own wickedness. You have not acknowledged him as God or pursued him or given him glory. You've traded his glory for other things. And so God, instead of bringing us judgment, he brought us grace through the person of Jesus Christ. And Christ came to us, born of a virgin, walking the streets of this world, showing us the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he went to a cross, and on that cross, he took on your sin because he loves you. And he died to pay for those sins in full. He was buried. He rose again the third day, showing himself alive over 40 days to hundreds of people, demonstrating that he had truly risen from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's coming again in power. And he offers for all who believe in him forgiveness eternal life a new heart fellowship with him a home in heaven purpose in this life you see Jesus is the hope of the world
Do you know him? So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to place your faith in Jesus. If you've never done that, this is your opportunity right now. Maybe you're watching online. You never gave your life to Christ. This is your opportunity. He loves you. This is your moment right now to say yes to Jesus. So if you're here in the house and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I need Christ. I want Christ in my life. I need to make sure that I'm right with God. I want to place my trust in Jesus. With everybody's head bowed, just lift up your hand. I'm not going to call you out, but I will see your hand and I will pray for you and I'll lead you just in a simple prayer right where you're seated. Lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. All right, thank you. Thank you. I need Christ. Thank you. I need Christ. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need to know for sure that I'm right with God. Lift it up. Pastor, pray for me. Anybody else, don't hesitate, don't wait. If he's tugging at your heart, if he's pulling at your heart, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's work saying, this is your moment. Lift up your hand right now. Okay, you put your hand down. If you raise your hand, just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I have gone my own way and I deserve judgment. But I believe Jesus died on a cross for me. And I believe he paid for all my sin. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean on the inside. Please make me a new person. Today I choose to trust you and to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me. Father, I thank you for your word, how true it is, how relevant it is. Thank you, God, for this warning today. We need it. And Lord, I pray for all the graduates. I pray for all their families. I pray for all of those in our church, those that are listening online today, that God, we would hold fast to your word, hold fast to Jesus, and that we would take the gospel, the hope of the world, to our workplace and our school and where we live, that Lord, we would be bright lights in a dark world while the wolves are howling. God, let us be faithful to the gospel that you've entrusted to us. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.